Yeah, I think the podcast artwork this week is going to have to be the Charlie with the whiteboard for Ryan doing his <laughs> playoff lineups. Because that's pretty much what it is. You've gone crazy. Yeah, that looks bad. Look at all these scenarios. That's fine. Yeah. As I said, he I don't put a lot of work into it. All of a sudden, he got like all amped up, and he's like, "Oh my god, we got to talk about playoff lineups." Good. I'm saying, well, like, somebody asked somebody, a question, and I responded to it. Look, I spend so much time on like useless shit that happened in the 1890s. I don't. I got no problem with somebody spending a whole lot of time on playoff rosters. I hope it's 1890 baseball rosters is what you're spending time on. I do actually really enjoy going and like the newspapers that I'm reading for for some of like the nativist newspapers. They are like, here's what happened in the baseball game. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, and they did find like, things to enjoy. <laughs> but in between the hate, they, they had baseball to complain about. <laughs> There's lots of stuff about Stuffy McGinnis being a no good Mick, whatever. Like there's all kinds of shit like that in there, I'm sure. It's probably like, oh, players nowadays are soft. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it is like if they literally do complain about uh like uh owners like embezzling money and and like teams uh depriving like folks in the stands from being able to enjoy their game for profit and things like that well i mean some things never change owners at that time were like just so openly hostile it was amusing where well because everybody's response was been like oh man i wish we could do that yeah exactly so look what happened um hey this is episode 110 of milwaukee's tailgate brewers podcast part of the mke tailgate podcast network i'm steve Groshinsky, and i'm joined as always by jp breen and ryan top and we are we're watching this brewer game just drag on game 162 decided to be a marathon yeah for no purpose could you imagine though if the uh, Brewers had won last night, and this was now for like forcing a playoff. Well, I feel like Taylor Williams wouldn't have been the guy there in the ninth. Yeah, I feel like the things would have played out slightly differently. That is correct. I don't know. JP, have you enjoyed this, I don't know, limp into playoff baseball? Man, I was suggesting that we actually like intentionally walk the guy home in the ninth inning to just like get it over with. So, I mean, if they had to play tomorrow, like you, you would have a valid point. It's not till Tuesday night. They got plenty of time. I bet you they come back to Milwaukee in between. I don't think they're headed straight to Washington, are they? I suppose they probably would. It's in the middle. I don't know. Yeah. There's probably a hotel they can find that's nice in Washington. They've Just got hang out. I wasn't <laughs> implying anything there. <laughs> wow. I don't know what you were implying, but. Well, you kind of pause. Like, I don't know. They're lining the pockets of some kind of public official. I wasn't implying that. I saw like I saw the meme with like all of the math equations and stuff going around the head, and they just look <laughs> utterly confused. I just saw Ryan being like, "Well, if that just happens, and then all of a sudden this happens, and then it was just like going all through his head. It was it was a good moment. We'll and save I, that for later when we talk about the rosters. I was just saying, like I don't know, the owner has some money; he can probably spring for something better than a super eight. God, I would hope so. <laughs> Can't you see like bronze out there rehabbing his calf in like the outdoor like hot tub? <laughs> Some kid like jumping in the um, jumping in next he's, to him. No, 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 he's going to the ice machine to pull out ice yeah. for his. <laughs> that, no, that's Kane's ice bath. Yeah, yeah. Lorenzo Kane's doing that. <laughs> He's got some of the young guys like doing a, a, a line, a train of uh, ice buckets to try to fill up the tub. 
That's what you get to do. A bucket brigade. Yeah, a bucket brigade. That's what you get to do. When you're the old guy on the team, you can tell the young guys to set something up like that. Yeah, and he definitely, even though he's not that old, he, he's 32, 33. I don't he's care, but old. it's fun he, to think of Lorenzo Cain as like the Murtaugh of this baseball team constantly saying, I'm getting too old for this shit. Because oh, he is. does it when he, he chases down a fly ball, and then he kind of gives that look. I've seen the, there's a t-shirt going around of that. Oh, there With has, Lorenzo yeah. Cain's face, yeah. Yeah, yeah, There's a bootleg t-shirt of that going around. Somebody's violating all kinds of copyright laws. I don't know. You kind of change it a little bit. You can or say it's parody. I don't know. It's it reminds me of uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for the soccer reference, Steve. Sorry. But one of the the Liverpool defenders, like every single time he has to make a clearance and do anything, he looks at the defender like, how fucking dare you make me do that? (laughs) It's a little bit like Lorenzo Cain when he has to go run one down in center. And he's like, he goes, did you see how far you just made me run? (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, assholes. Like. You're making me work here. Yeah, when I when he, when he runs it down, but he stops before like the warning track. Like those are great plays, but you don't get the highlights that are on repeat. It's not like the the home run he stole the other day. No, that home run that he stole that got a big big cheer at the restaurant I was having dinner at last night. Yeah, those are the highlights that everybody looks at, and he doesn't pull that with those plays. But the ones where he just you know covers like half of the outfield to make a catch, that's when he kind of gives the look. So. It's a little like when Mike Cameron used to do it because like Mike Cameron got such good jumps, just like Lorenzo Cain gets gets the excellent jumps that like you can't really he's so good defensively that he makes plays that are actually quite difficult look like it was no big deal whatsoever. So they never get any attention. Well, Mike Cameron was like more pushing 40 when he was doing that as well. When we were watching him with the Brewers. Yeah, he was he was a little bit older, but he was also in his prime, I guess they were both really good defenders. Cameron, though, if you look at it, he has like 50 fan graphs uh, war for his career. And a lot of it is just excellent, excellent outfield defense, like amazing in his best seasons. He was saving like 40 runs, which in center field is just almost unheard of. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, we've we've gotten to watch some pretty good center fielders and a, a game 162 that doesn't matter keeps dragging on hey if you want to help fans find this podcast rate and review milwaukee's tailgate on apple podcasts and spotify uh we want listener questions so follow milwaukee's tailgate on twitter at mke tailgate email questions to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our facebook page you can follow the three of us on twitter jp is ghost runner on second base ryan is at rd top and I'm Steve Garshinsky. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview. Uh, so check that out. And I think uh, Paul's going to be on fire this week with the reporting is eligible podcast. So definitely check that out. Yeah, he's going to have some criticisms of uh, LaFleur. <laughs> not, not thrilled with that game plan. And it didn't work out. It was kind of a weird game, though, even for not working out. But anyway, I got I got all upset because I don't actually watch the Packers that much. I watched that game on Thursday night and I felt like I wasted, you know, three or three hours of my life, whatever the heck it was, like three and a half hours of my life watching that to just watch them at the end decide they didn't need to run it from the one yard line. Yeah, well, and you've been watching Paul probably rant for the past week about uh, whether Lafleur is a smart coach or not. Not believing that he was incredibly smart and then having that play out. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. Check out this week's episode. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. 
You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. It's that time of year. Carbon 4's October Ale is in stores. Fermented at near lager temperatures, this beer attempts to catch magic in a glass. It has soft toffee notes wrapped in a blanket of flavors of fresh baked bread. It's then accented with a pleasant, subtle, woodsy experience provided by a whiskey-soaked blend of French and American oak. And see, Ryan, you don't update this very often. No, I don't. I let you do it. So we've been doing this read for a while. They also have their Downton Abbey Apple Ale. Downton Appley. Downton Appley. Yes, Downton Appley. Uh, so if you want to check that one out, which is kind of a, I don't know, fruit wine-ish tasting malted beverage, I guess. I don't know. Have you tried it? I have not. Yeah, it, sounds like more, it sounds like something my wife would very much like, though. Probably. Actually, no, I think they do package that one. You can go check that one out in the stores as well. Uh, but definitely pick up a six-pack of the October Ale in stores or visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's east side. As always, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer, brilliance. Got to stop you for a second. The brewers now have second and third with nobody out in the top of the 11th so maybe this thing will be ending mercifully at this point we will well, see. i was going to stop you because i felt like we needed to give steve an absolute shout out to say nailed that read man after saying that all these other times that you were like i can't do this read just you nailed it this time every time the fresh fresh baked bread see i can't say it a second time yeah you got it on that time. I felt like Bill Schroeder when he sits there and watches Matt LePay do the reads and just is in absolute awe of him every single time. That's and what I would. Oh. That, that's what I strive for is to be Matt LePay. I think that yeah. that would be the ultimate if I could attain that level. Matt LePay I mean, is the best. I do legitimately love Matt LePay. I was gonna say you are the Matt LePay of this podcast. That's what I generally advertise myself as. Well, and I've been listening to Pay LePay more often now. With the Badgers, because the only time I have to mow the lawn is on Saturday mornings, and they keep playing 11 a.m. games. Bastards. Yeah, so it's a lot of LePay and Lucas and Tauscher in my ears. Yeah, Tausch is like full-time on that now. Yeah, which is good, because, I mean, Lucas is just kind of a weird old dude now. <laughs> I mean, he was weird before, but now he's, just, he's also added the age to it. Yeah, so. you know. There are 9 a.m. games out here. <laughs> that would be great. You know what? I would love to get up and just kind of be eating brunch and they start a game. Oh, huge shouts to Breen. Apparently, he was up at 4.30 in the morning for the Liverpool game this week. Uh, I couldn't believe that I saw you in that group chat. I was like, he got up for this because it wasn't a you know a marquee game or anything. And uh, I wasn't up for it. I slept through the whole first half. So it was only 6.30 here. Man, okay. that would be adjusting my alarm by like, I don't know, an hour. I know, but you're weird and you're like a morning person for some reason. Well, we've all got issues in our lives, and, and that's one I choose to keep pretty regular. Yeah, but 4.30, that's that's insanity, man. For a game against, who was it? It was Sunner? No. Sheffield was, United. Sheffield, yeah, Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You, you want to actually talk about the Brewers a little bit? We should probably do that, but first we got to finish the intro. We got a playoff team. We f I finished the intro. When I finish the uh, Carbon 4 read, that's finishing the intro there. So uh, we have a playoff team here. Uh, yeah, it really uh, it really happened. <laughs> as unbelievable as it was. And they, they finished out week two. That's the thing. They lost like at least two of their three last games, maybe their last three games, and they still made the playoffs. If I told you at the beginning of September that they would make the playoffs and also lose their last series of the year. 
that would have seemed completely and utterly nuts. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously the Cubs deciding to just completely go in the tank uh, helped that out quite a bit. And it's a thing of beauty. I mean, JP, are you surprised that the Cubs finished the way they did? I mean, with that squad, I, they had issues towards the end of the season. Obviously, Chris Bryant got hurt and some other stuff was going on. But um, the way they completely collapsed, I know that there was – I don't want to say there was crowing by baseball prospectus online, but some people definitely brought up uh, BP's preseason prediction for the Cubs with you- this season winding down. Yeah. So, so Rob Arthur ended up writing what I thought was a pretty good article on – on Pakoda and basically saying that they didn't get the win total right. But what Pakoda was trying to do was point out flaws in the Cubs uh, roster. And that was reflecting on the fact that, you know, Theo Epstein came out and actually like criticized both BP and the Pakoda projections. And then being like, we have our own internal projections and there were, you know, far more accurate than Pakoda last year. And Rob Arthur was trying to come on and actually say, uh, so first of all, Pakoda actually doesn't just give one, win total it actually gives a range of win totals and they just give you the median when you look at it but also was trying to say Pakoda is trying to say something and what they were trying to say was there were going to be significant issues in the bullpen and that was one of the things that it was worried about and then saying that you know you had uh what was it like bleacher nation or whatever the heck their name is and you had other people saying like well Look, I understand that the Cubs had some problems, but if you look at their run differential, it has nothing to do with their win total. So I don't know if we can give any credit to Pakoda for this when they didn't understand the fact that, yeah, you underplayed your win differ- your run differential because you lost so many close games because the high leverage members of your bullpen were bad, which is exactly what Pakoda said. And it's exactly what went wrong down the stretch because they didn't actually play that bad. They just lost a ton of like one or two run games. JP, you don't get it because even though Picota gave a win total, they didn't like really lyrically write down the story of the season for everybody to absorb before it started. And that's why they failed. Right. Well, and that's why I ended up like tweeting. I was like, this is actually a good reminder and a good moment to say when you look at these win totals and you look at a, a win total projection like Picota, like look at what it's saying. Don't just look at the win total and be like, oh, that's 80 wins or 79 wins. This system absolutely hates us. Like look at what it's saying. Well, well okay, here's, here's and the here's, thing was Cubs fans crowed like crazy when they got to the number, whatever it was, like 80 wins or whatever. That was the projection with three weeks left in the season. No, they crowed in like May when they were off to a decent start. They also crowed in May, but they crowed when it got to that point. And then from that point on, they won like two or three games. Like yep. they basically didn't win at all. Um, now here, here's a serious question: Has Pakota gotten better at figuring out how teams, uh, basically the production that teams are getting out of their bullpen? Because it seems like that's a place where, you know, you're mentioning it with the Cubs. You know, the Brewers' projection they were pretty close. The Brewers are going to end up here with 89 wins. And I think they were projected for like 84, 86. I mean, they might end up with 90. Maybe <laughs> eighty nine. Point is, I mean, when you're within five wins, you're pretty close. And I don't think anybody looked at the rotation coming into the season, even with what they had coming back, expecting something you know similar from the previous season from Shasin or whatever that they were going to be a great team. Like they had pitching issues in the rotation coming into the season. But has BP done a better job of figuring out how to quantify like what bullpens are going to contribute to the overall to? um a pitching staff. 
yes and no and and i will say what they're what they're good at and this is actually something that um that paul was talking about in kind of our internal chat and saying that what Pakoda is good at is saying if something bad happens this year this is what it's going to be and they're usually Pakoda is usually quite good at um isolating the problem spots on a rotation and they tend to be kind of like under they, they tend to be a little bit more pessimistic especially if you have a bad bullpen and so to your point yeah if you have a bad high leverage part of your bullpen they do tend to uh, grade you down because they suggest that you're going to underplay your run differential. And a team like the Brewers, and and the other thing that's hard to remember, and this is something that Rob Arthur was trying to point out, like Pakota's not meant to project you to sign somebody like Craig Kimbrell, even if he did pitch, pitch poorly, isn't designed to uh, like account for the fact that you had uh, Nick Castellanos added to your team they don't they're like not there to project the fact that the brewers are going to lose Corey canable in spring training like this isn't these are things that the projection system is not meant to have and so it's important to look at what it's actually trying to say and the the problems that the cubs had down the stretch like are exactly what pakota was talking about and so my point was saying that this is actually a good conversation to like how to read projections how to look at projections how to be able to identify what projection systems are saying about your team and how it's constructed. But instead the Cubs are just, you know, having their persecution complex and like need to say that everyone in the world's against them instead of actually saying like, Oh yeah, this is something that actually we could have foreseen at the beginning of the year. Um, And then of course a bunch of Cubs Cubs fans were saying that, well, actually the, the bullpen ERA was pretty good. And I was like, yeah, until you actually look at where the problem spots were in the ERA and all of the problem spots in the Cubs ERA in the bullpen were people that were pitching in high leverage situations. So it's it's a difficult con- it's like would have actually been something productive, which is why it was frustrating to me. And I, you know, this isn't a Cubs podcast, but it was one of the things that I was like, this is helpful for us going forward because we always talk about the Pakota projections and we'll talk about them again in in February and and March and when we're trying to like guess what the Brewers are being able to do. Uh, kind of coming into this this next season um yeah i don't know it, it's really i not not that i'm surprised that like twitter isn't interested in having a nuanced discussion but like everyone getting mad about rob's article that actually addressed a lot of the issues that they were trying to say it's just you know it's always really i guess shocking to find out that everyone who has a problem with an article doesn't actually read it <laughs> now, now, last point of Cubs news: uh, Theo Epstein and Joe Madden sat down with a jug of Joe Madden's toilet wine and discussed their future together, which apparently is is no not future. Yeah, is not together anymore. So Joe Joe Madden, after being a lame duck all season and fighting with everybody, is is done in Chicago. Yeah, and. Uh, in other division managerial news, Clint Hurdle actually got fired. I know both Breen and I reacted to that on Twitter because earlier in the week, it was reported that he was going to be brought back, and we were both aghast at okay, that. It was reported by The Athletic because Hurdle told one of The Athletic reporters that Hurdle had been told that he was staying. Right. And so it was interesting because then uh, Ken Rosenthal ended up basically saying, like, look, one of three things happened. Either there was miscommunication within the the pirates organization and some people wanted him to stay and some people wanted him to leave and you know somebody who didn't have the authority to say it told hurdle 
Uh, number two, there was miscommunication between the organization and Hurdle, and Hurdle just thought something different was happening. Or number three, like Hurdle was trying a legitimate power play to say, like, they told me I'm staying. Or and then the Clint, organization no, is no, no. so batshit that they Hurdle. would actually try to do like a trial balloon and see what's the reaction going to be if we say he's coming back. And then they're like, oh. Oh, people got really mad. So we're no, not I think do it, that. Clint Hurdle is a typical baby boomer where he's like, no, I'm going to stay here. And everybody else is like, no, please leave now. We <laughs> don't want you around anymore. You ruin everything. He really Hurdle is there's he has some ugly, ugly history, uh, some stuff with the Cubs um, where he has said some things that are just really, really uh, problematic. And I mean, he need that dude, that clubhouse fell apart. There were multiple fights. People brawling, people going out and deciding to do headhunting retaliations on their own without orders. I mean, he lost complete control of the team, and like you had just like a bunch of crazy stuff happen to them. Setting aside the Vasquez uh, horribleness for a minute, like you just had a bunch of terrible things. There was no way that man could come back and manage that team anymore. He had to go. So, so what you're saying is there was no such thing as hurdle timber. There, there was no. There, there also was no hurdlegust, hurdlegust, or hurdle lie. Like none of those things happened because they were basically from July on were absolutely in the tank. Like they were the worst team in the NL, I think, in the second half. They were legitimately awful. I appreciated your effort on those puns. I was, I worked at it. It was hard. I know. I know. You could call this like Jurdle or. Well, that's the uh, title of the episode, I guess. Jordal. <laughs> no, we cannot name it after Clint Hurdle when the Brewers <laughs> made the playoffs. Uh, did they make the playoffs? The Brewers are we the talking playoffs. about that? We are getting to it. I was kind of trying to wait for this game to freaking finish. Yeah. Like, God damn it. Shoot it in the head and finish <laughs> this thing. Well, Jimmy Nelson is in, so. I know. I saw that. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be over in a hurry. Well, but <laughs> apparently not, so. I was gonna say you guys all made fun of me when we were sitting in the ninth inning, and I was like, "Look, just intentionally walk it and get it over with." And now you're complaining; it's still going on. Well, all right. So they they did things. So it was fun early in the week uh, in Cincinnati. The Brewers went out there and uh, swept the Reds. They did, which was good to see because they were still in the mode where they had to like get it done to finish this off and, and make it in the postseason. Um, so it was a four to two win. Against Sonny Gray, who seemed to be a brewer killer earlier in the season. Yeah. Well, and he, he pitched fine in that game. He wasn't terrible. I think they got three runs off of him. Um, he was fine. Turns out he's having surgery. I think he already had surgery. He had elbow issues that the Reds just let him pitch through. Yeah, talk about a, a dumb organization. <laughs> Dude needs surgery, and they're sending him out there for another start in a lost season. That means nothing. Like, to be fair. That is horrible. Hey, to be fair, it is his own body, and he can make his own decisions. Like, it's not like... I mean, like the team just gave him, answer. like, a $40 million contract, so they could say, uh, nope, we're not going to pitch you. Hey, Marty Brenneman was calling his final games. <laughs> yeah. If you don't show up for Marty, then what's the point? Well, That's why Euchre was probably there. I know you, you think it's because Euchre was there to celebrate. I think it was both things. I think it was primarily to celebrate Marty uh, calling it 100%. a day. 100%. Yeah. I think, I mean, he did travel to Cincinnati once earlier in the season for that reason, too, because Brennan was being honored. So, sure. Like, he did that. But, yeah, I think the combination of the two things, Nelson struck out the side. Nice. Very nice. Oh, he's going to be on the postseason roster. Okay. Well, now, if we're at this point, let's have a 21-inning game just to end it. Let's just, <laughs> just go. None of these guys are going to be on the postseason roster anyway, so just let them play. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, they, they clinched it. Was it game two they clinched it? Was it was it Wednesday night. Ago? Yeah, it was Wednesday night. Okay, game two in Cincinnati, they clinched it. Braun hit the, it was a first inning grand slam. Yep. Which was awesome. Yep. I think everybody was pretty fired up for that. Um, big 9-2 win. Lyles was solid in that start again as well. So any takeaways from that one? I mean, from the game itself, no, it was just fun. It was a, a wonderful victory lap to have that, to not have to sweat that out. Even though you already kind of knew, like, the magic number was down to one, they were going to be making the postseason. So you you knew it, but it was nice to just have that victory lap. And I think Mark Atanasio enjoyed the victory lap as well, judging by the post-game celebration. That's why you own a team. (laughs) Yeah, so he came into that post-game celebration. That was my favorite part of the post-game celebration was him clearly not having started celebrating at the end of the game the owners who show up to a celebration in the clubhouse with the suit on still are idiots like you own a team to go celebrate like put on the merch he he was merched out put on the merch fucking crack a couple brews and join the celebration because otherwise you only bought the team to be cool with the rest of the the actual players. So well, like go and enjoy it. Well, and he interrupted. I think was Sophia interviewing Euchre that he interrupted. Like he actually jumped in the middle of it and like interrupted. It was there were probably like three guys who could interrupt that. It was Ananasio, Braun, and Yelich. Yeah, everybody else. If Euchre's talking, you know, you don't interrupt that. But those three could probably go up and do it. Well, speaking of Yelich, that was my other favorite part was Braun making sure to point out that he's the one who got Yelich to the postseason uh, clincher. Hey, Ryan Braun is a clubhouse leader. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yelich might be the best player on the team right now when he's not injured, obviously. But Ryan Braun is the clubhouse leader. Look, I know that everybody's got their opinions on on Ryan Braun from – you know, whether they feel like personally betrayed over the fact that he might have lied and where they did lie. He's he's been nothing but a model pro for the the young players on the team. He is st- like when they needed him down the stretch, he performed quite well. He's been he's been he's been a great presence in the clubhouse. I got no problem with with Ryan Braun being able to step up and do some things and, and wanting to be able to claim some things for, for a team that he's really contributed to down the stretch and being able to just like poke fun at some guys. And I that think, speech well, was great. And hold on. Now, if anybody can like text Ananasio and say, Hey, charter your private jet and make sure you pick up Yelich on the way. It's Ryan Braun. Yeah. Like Hernan Perez sure. isn't texting. I don't know. I'm sure he doesn't have his phone number. Uh, Hernan, I bet you does. Like, not all players of Hernan Perez's caliber would have Mark Adonazio's personal phone number, but Perez does. I, I I would bet money on that. Sure. I really don't care to bet money on it. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we'd have to find that out. So, yes, just if you want to be that uh, into it, go for it. Claim it. Um, so, yeah, it was fun watching that celebration. It went on for it. Would, they hung with it for a long time on Fox Sports. They did last year, too. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? It was the game was done at like 815, 830. There's, there's some middle aged dude with a little blonde in a skirt in a golf show that usually shows up <laughs> at some point that had to get preempted. Yeah. <laughs> or a hunting show with some dude and then some blonde. 
<laughs> I kind of feel like a, there's a, a type. I, I kind of feel like there's a theme if you want to get people to watch the shows. How do you do it? So. Well, it is a Fox network, so you know, <laughs> not anymore. Oh, that's true. It's not anymore. It just has the name. Not anymore. Yeah, it'll be. I don't know. I think it's Diamond Sports next year is what we're gonna have to look forward to. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Any favorite parts of the celebration, JP? It wasn't going as late for you. So, did you like watch all of that, and then you got to join primetime in in progress? <laughs> I didn't watch too much of the the celebration, but I, I, I don't know. Mine was pretty mundane. I just liked the fact that Yelich was there at all. I thought that was really it was a really good opportunity for him to be able to be there and celebrate with everybody. I never considered him not being there. I, it didn't cross my mind that he would have not. Well, he hadn't been traveling with the team because his knee was all swollen and they wanted to keep him off his feet as much as possible. Sure, but I guess the the idea that they could possibly you know lock up the the postseason berth, I just assumed he'd be along for that. And yeah, I mean, he he ended up being there because of Ryan Braun. So there you exactly. go. Um, leader, he's a leader. Yes, he all the leaderish things. Uh, did did you want to go over your favorite moment from the celebration? I already talked about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah the, I, Mark Antonazio bumbling in exactly. We're drunk. Yeah, yeah. J- JP, did you have a, a favorite moment? Something that stuck out? He told you it was Yelich being there. You liked Yelich, and then oh, I was going to say the Braun speech okay. yes i was worried about you for a second steve i was <laughs> like are you just you just missing a bunch of things people are saying what's going I on i am i am we were, we were chatting about so many other things yeah bronze speech it was that was the perfect nuke lelouch speech to give uh to his audience there yeah i think i said it was the combination of uh of nuke lelouch and uh, i hope he was wearing his nasty ass shower shoes when he was giving that speech. <laughs> he well, he had the goggles on, and those goggles were like straight out of an eighties uh, uh, ski movie. So, was, <laughs> like that was they were really it was he like was, the bully in a ski. He looked movie. like Billy Zabka, <laughs> <laughs> like he's waiting to say we'll settle it on the slopes. Yeah, like, exactly that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that speech. Shout out to Andy Schaff, AK Schaff. Uh, put that on his Twitter feed. He so did go find it. He did. But there's there's an additional joke. There are there are a few lines in there that might have been fudged a little bit. So just a heads up on that. Okay, so the Brewers wrap up with the five three win in Cincinnati. They head to Colorado. They still have a shot at the division, winning yeah. the division, tying for the division. Though it looked bad at that point because first we heard was that the Cubs were going to like not play anybody, and they didn't. Like basically everybody was going to say, okay, so I didn't get this. Joe Madden is saying, we're not going to do the Brewers any favors. And it's like, so you're going to do the Cardinals a favor. I mean, last time I checked, I don't think the Cubs and Cardinals had like a great relationship. No, basically he was like, we're out of it. So I'm not going to, you know, be risking any of our big guys. And yes, I know the Brewers are going to be pissed off about it, but he, he said, I think verbatim, like that's it. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm getting fired anyways. (laughs) Or, not or yeah, he said something like, there are things that I that I give a shit about. That's not one of them. He's like, I've been drunk for the last two weeks on this toilet wine. Yes. <laughs> and, and and it was funny, though, because, you know, for the Brewers, I was like, I was like, dude, you just lost like nine games in a row with your like a team. Nobody gives a shit if you're going to like put in somebody else. It might actually benefit you. And they ended up winning a couple of games with their team. That <laughs> well, wasn't any- and that was the thing is it's so frustrating that they actually won those games and the Brewers couldn't take advantage of it. And at least force a playoff. Well, but I it mean, it was always it was one of those things too, right? Where you were like, they played well and won a bunch of games that they maybe shouldn't have, right? You, everything went well for so long. Eventually, they had to lose a couple of games. Like you, nothing, 
like the stretch that they were having was going to go on forever. And then, of course, what ends up happening is you've got a bullpen that if it does have any issues, it's got home run issues and you're sending them to Coors Field. And so let's do it. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Friday night, it wasn't that disappointing to see like, oh, here's a game. They're getting bombed. They're out of it and they can just mail it in. Yes. Because that basically happened. Once uh, Black came in the game, things kind of got crazy, um, and they didn't look like they had a chance. It was the uh, Saturday game that was the one that was just a killer because it looked like they had it, and uh, that home run that Hader gave up was trash. Yeah. He made a good pitch. Who the hell is that guy? Exactly. Like, who is he? And why would he be in a position to, to hit one out off of Hader? Like, that was absolute nonsense. Well, you know, and it was, he he kind of, I don't know if you'd even say he got into one, but to put it out to right field like that, it was a combination of juiced ball and being in Coors Field. Like, that home run was completely a product of the ball and location. Yeah, it, yeah, I can't argue with that. And it was incredibly frustrating to just, have it go that way and then for stories home run to be you know that ball is probably you know a foul ball most of the time when he makes contact like that and it just stayed fair by a few feet like it was very close and i will say i will say though to go back for just a quick second um so the the guy who hit it his name is sam hilliard uh he does have 42 home runs this year so i mean he he can do that if 42 home runs is seven of them in the big leagues, thirty-five of in, them in, yes, in eighty at bats. Yeah, so I mean that's a de- his his ISO in the big leagues is uh four hundred. <laughs> well, congratulations, Colorado. <laughs> I thanks, jerks. Um, so we do have a question from Tim Braun. He asks, "I listened to most of the game on Saturday uh, versus watching due to other commitments." What were your thoughts on the decisions on the bases uh, last night? Kane trying to steal third, Grandall and Kane out at home. Uh, it obviously didn't work, uh, but were they actually bad decisions or bad luck? And Lorenzo Kane busted up his ankle pretty good on his play. So um, I guess when you get this late in the season, what what are your thoughts on, on some of uh, Ed Cedar's calls down there? Because obviously uh, there are a lot of third base experts third base coach experts on, I hate, on Twitter and I elsewhere. I hate that second-guessing stuff. That It drives me nuts. The Grandall one was a bad slide on Grandall's part. He should have been in there. He went way too wide. He didn't need to go that wide on the play and could have easily touched the base coming through and would have been fine. There was nothing wrong with that send. Uh, if anything, you just take into account that, like, yeah, okay, he's running and he's Grandall, so he's slow. You do have to take that into account a little bit, but... There was no reason not to send him in that one. The The Kane one is harder because, I mean, for my money, that is blocking the plate. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people looking at the current rules and the, the way it's generally interpreted, it's blocking the plate. That ball did not draw him into the base path. He was already in the base path. He, he was not drawn. That's fine. But I, honestly, I looked at it, and especially on the replay when you could actually see it from, like, that, that uh, baseline camera that they have. I thought Kane's stride looked like he was not basically hitting the base in rhythm, and it was a bad send. He was not hitting the base in a way where he was going to turn and take off. Third base. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, the decision to send has to be made well before that point. And I'm saying he looked like he was not in rhythm when he was about to hit the bag anyways. It just seemed like a bad send all around. I don't know, JP, 
Did you see it? Do you even you 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 probably take the attitude that you don't care? Yeah, I think that's always a it's always a safe assumption for most things. Um, yeah, no, I think that the 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 send was fine for me. It's it's one of those things that I am comfortable. I I think taking more base running chances down the stretch, especially when you're away from home, especially when you're in a place like Coors, I don't have a problem uh, taking a few chances on the base paths. And the hard thing with you know, and I understand that everybody's uncomfortable with with laws that require somebody to be subjective, but like you can see both sides of the discussion for blocking the plate for me. I can see absolutely the discussion for it being a throw that brought him into the base pass, and I can see the discussion for people saying that, you know, he was already there and he was blocking the plate, but at some point somebody has to make a call. And for me, if like I can see both sides of the discussion, I'm not gonna get too upset about it. It's just one of those things. I think it's always frustrating when it seems like it's clear cut, you know, the guy's, you know, foot was clearly in the path the whole time. So that seems like he should be in the base path. He wasn't like drawn in after the throw got there or anything like that. Right. His foot was there the whole time. But we've seen clearly that replay at this point is just a complete cluster because it's not an application of the rules. I mean, yeah. And they don't want to overrule in that situation because the blocking the plate thing is such a touchy. They don't, they don't have, it's not a well-defined rule. And it's more one of those things of, well, we know it when we see it. So they kind of default to whatever the umpires on the field. Which is a lie. Nobody knows it when they see it. No, but it's it's the entire it's the entire thing of using something that inherently needs things to be objective in a situation in which it can't be. And that everybody's solution to any bad call that they don't like is more replay. And it is not fit for things that need to be interpreted because nobody is ever going to be happy. And then what en- ends up having to happen is you have to either a butcher the rules to the to the point that like you have to come up with something where it was like, well, technically, you know, his foot came off the bag by an inch. So technically he's out. And you're just like, that doesn't like nobody wanted. Yeah, I guess technically those are the rules, but like nobody wanted replay for that. And it's also one of those things that from, you know, we see it right now happening in the NFL with pass interference i was like it's not fit for calls like that and people just got to be able to understand if you're going to use something that is going to be in slow motion and is going to require things to be subjective you're never going to get calls that everybody are happy with and you're never going to get anything that's consistent and that's just like to me it's it can't it can't work for that it's not built for it i mean my problem isn't the replay it's the fact that on the field it was called not a block and then it should have been called a block on the field and like there's yeah but you're but there's that's a completely subjective call you can't say because i can 100% understand that as a catcher if you have a foot in front of it and then a and then the ball brings the rest of your body in front of it that's not blocking the plate to me yeah but, but his blo- foot was always in well, the okay here's here's the problem with it ultimately if you want to be able to make the tag you need to have your foot in a place that you'll be able to turn around and actually tag where the base path is at. Okay. So I think in a lot of cases, you're going to be very close, if not on the base path, if you want to be able to catch the ball, turn around and put the tag down. Okay. So I think there is a bit of a flaw in even trying to enforce that to begin with. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is, you have two people in close proximity, both going for the same goal, basically to, you know, one guy going for the plate and the other one trying to keep the guy from getting to the plate. You're going to have collisions there. That's just how it goes. So so from now on, Lorenzo Cain has to do the Willie Mays Hayes wide slide 
around the plate, and he doesn't get uh, the collision and busted ankle. Yeah, well, I mean, not busted, but... Man, he is not running well, so that is a busted ankle because Lorenzo Cain needs his speed to be able to track down balls in the outfield. That is a Lorenzo Cain thing that even if he is not hitting well, we need Lorenzo Cain to be able to patrol center field. Yeah. Um, I, what are you guys' feelings on on this Colorado series, which has been kind of a letdown? Um, you know, again, we talked about how the Brewers had an opportunity to catch the Cardinals and it didn't happen. Um, is there cause for concern? Do you think some of the injuries are catching up for uh, catching up with them, or is this just a typical bump the road that you hit? No, I mean it's it's a weird series because actually two of these games, you look at it, these last two games, the Brewers have held the Rockies to a combined uh, six runs over uh, 23 innings now. I mean, we're in the 13th right now. They've held them to – that's really good at course, especially with the, the crazy ball situation. Like, they've held them in check reasonably well here. Uh, the, the worry you would have going into course is that it's going to be, you know, a bunch of games like Friday nights where you had an 11 to seven, but that hasn't been the way most of the series has played out. That was kind of, you know, a one-time thing. So no, it doesn't really concern me. I think that they've, one thing this has allowed them to do, they've had their guys out of the lineup uh, on Sunday for a while. They have been careful about how they've used guys because they had already clinched the wild card. Ryan Braun wasn't pushed into playing. So he was able to sit the weekend and they've been able to be careful about how they use guys. And they've been able to use their a lot of relievers who aren't going to be on the postseason roster. So they've been able to set up for the wild card game, which is what you really wanted from the beginning. So you think everyone who matters showered and is on a plane back to Milwaukee already. <laughs> I, I would imagine that they are uh, they're ready to go. Their bags are packed and they are they are ready to hop on the, the plane. But I, I, yeah, probably not a separate flight. Yeah, I think for for me, looking at what they were doing throughout the entire month of September, you know, they were they were winning a bunch of close games, whether they were one or two win game or one or two run games, and eventually that's going to come back and go the opposite way. I mean, we've we've talked about that enough this year to to understand that at some point you're not going to outplay your run differential that you're going to win all of your one or two, one and and two run. Uh, games and so eventually it's going to go and like we talk about the Colorado series all the time being like that's not a place where we like to be able to send guys uh, it's not a place that we like to to have to deal with pitching and especially when you're dealing with guys that give up home runs at the back end of the Brewers bullpen it's not a place that you want to pitch so for me yeah I mean it's it's one of those things that it's it's not ideal but it's also you know, on Friday when you're in the middle of the game and you're going to send in somebody like Ray Black in in a place like Colorado and he gives up is something that ain't pretty. That is something that happens. Yeah, so um, I guess we could start looking forward to this playoff game, regardless of what happens in the final of this uh, this game 162 here. I mean, we know what's happening, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a Patreon question from Michael Heitkamp. He says, uh, is the national success versus left-handed pitching in 2019 a little overblown they're uh 111 runs created plus versus left-handed pitchers versus 100 versus righties uh seems like they're just a really good hitting team and the brewers should just pitch the best pitchers in the game which likely includes Suter, pomerantz and hater for half the game is is that the attitude they should have you know obviously you're not going to start like geo or anything like that you're not going to have them piggyback off of woodruff but 
other than Geo, would you, JP, just be ready to basically use your your top bullpen pitchers, even if they are lefties? Depend upon the situation. I would imagine that Pomeranz and Hader, I wouldn't have too many issues going kind of against whomever. Um, Suter, I think you are generally going to use if you are in a good, uh, either A, you need length, or B, you have a situation in which you feel comfortable against who he's going up against over uh, an individual inning. But it's not a huge difference in terms of, yeah, they're 11% better than the league average against lefties. They're about league average against righties. They're they're a good team, right? They're making the playoffs for a reason. But those fine margins are what you have to work with in a one-game scenario. You have to be able to try to exploit these things as much as possible. And I would be making sure that I have as many right-handers available at all times to make sure that I'm not sending out a lefty. If you send out hater at the end, you're sending out hater at the end because, you know, you're going with it. But, yeah, I... I don't know if I would send uh, Suter, Suter out in the middle innings unless I really needed to. That would be something in which I would be ready to to have uh, Freddie Peralta ready to go. I'd want to have Junior Guerra ready to go. I'd want to have a lot of my righties that I understand are not your best pitchers at all times. But if you're looking at the fifth, sixth inning, those are the guys that you're going to want there. If you you know if you're going to go with Hater for the eighth and the ninth, then you're going to go with Hater for the eighth. And ninth. Do you think Pomerantz has shown enough that he's in that echelon where you feel like you can pitch him regardless? I think compared to who they who else they might be able to throw out there, yeah. I would definitely feel more comfortable with Pomerantz out there than somebody like Freddie Peralta in the eighth. I would try to match up uh, Pomerantz for maybe you know a lefty or two for his inning. Like you would try to, to set that up. Like if you had if you were looking at a, a given inning there and you had, you know, Soto do in like the seventh, I would try to get Pomerantz in for that inning, you know, and maybe leave Guerra for the eighth something like that. But I think you lean a little bit heavier for the, the wild card. So game. Pomerantz is your loogie. Not necessarily a loogie, but you would use him. Well, yeah, he has a little more flexibility. It's not like leaving Brian Schaus in for multiple batters. No, but I do think that given that maybe you don't put Alex Claudio on the, the roster for the wild card game. I think it would be important once you get to the, the NLDS, if they can win that game, but maybe you, you stay away from Claudio and somebody like Jackson takes his place or Ray Black takes his place because they potentially have more matchup usefulness in that game, in that specific situation. So I think that that would probably be more the direction you'd want to go. Are and you I sure Ray Black? Ray Black had a terrible, terrible inning in Colorado on Friday. That Like, obviously, he, he it was horrible. Um, Ray Black has, by and large, been okay-ish. And I could see an argument for him. Maybe Devin Williams gets a shout in that position. Albert Jackson, of, those type of I'm guys. I'm thinking of Ray Black as, yeah, they, they've gotten use out of him. I think they've tried to manage the leverage that he has. And also, he can be a blow-up guy. I mean, JP, do you want to see Ray Black in a playoff game? No. Uh, and I do not. And But there is... So just, I was looking up uh, Pomeranz against right-handers since he's joined the Brewers out of the bullpen. He's holding them to a 172 batting average this year. And so by all accounts, his his strikeout rates over 40 percent against righties. I think in terms of what he's done out of the bullpen, I would feel comfortable pitching him and, and Hater kind of against no matter who is going to be coming up. And and maybe you want to get into a situation like if you can get it where they can get a, a starter go for. 
it, it, maybe if they go Woodruff for, for three or four innings and then they can get somebody to pitch the fifth and then you got Pomeranz go sixth and seventh and Hader go eighth and ninth, like you can try to shut it down that way. That'd be interesting. But I do think that you need to make sure that you've got somebody like Freddie Peralta or you've got a, you know, a right-hander that you can bring in in the middle innings for sure. Peralta, Guerra. Um, I think Jackson could be a guy in this situation too. I think Jackson could see a few outs, you know, if you, if it's going to be, you know, multiple right-handers up in a row that you know they're not going to be taking out, that you could do that and make that work. So, yeah. Okay, so we got a Patreon question from Michael Heitkamp. Yes, uh, predict the wild card game roster and how you think Council will deploy the outgetters. So this yeah. is a very specific Ryan question. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I looked at this. So I do think basically the the normal starting eight right now: Yaz, Thames, Hira, Arcia, Moose, uh, Grisham, Kane, and Braun. Like that's the lineup. And then you obviously are going to have Pena. Perez and Gamble, I think are basically locks that leaves you with 11 guys. And I think they're going to go 12, maybe even 13 position players for this game. And so I'm kind of wondering based on, on all that, like what they would do if it's going to be Spangenberg, if it's going to be Austin, I think those would be the, like the most reasonable potential guys to be added. Both have had their moments this September. Both have, have done some things when they've been with the Brewers. They should have had some Benny Hill music playing in the 13th year. Yeah, that was really ugly. Um, so I think that that's going to be the the hitting side. The pitching side, we know Woodruff is starting. We know, I think, Hader, Guerra, Pomerantz, uh, Peralta, those guys are basically locked. Suter is going to be on that roster for that game. The question then becomes, like, who are some of these other guys? And I think we just talked about it. So I think you're going to see a lot of right-handers. Albers will probably make that team Jackson um, Devin Williams is a potential guy I do wonder about Chase Anderson Chase the last time we saw him in Washington it was not good he was the one that got blown up in that Sunday game after the long game on on Saturday night but Chase Anderson is a guy that you would not necessarily worry about uh, facing a right-handed heavy lineup so he could potentially be useful and again a guy who could maybe give you length if you need it. If Woodruff is forced out of the game quickly and you need kind of a second starting option, a guy who can give you a little bit of time in there. So potentially Anderson, I think that really you're going to see probably a 12 man pitching staff and you know, they will, they will definitely want to give themselves enough length where if the game goes, cause we've, we've had a wild card game go, what was it? 18 innings. Like we've had a wild card game go really long. You want to definitely leave yourself enough length where you can do that, but you also want to have position players there to take care of it. I do think it's going to be, if they do win the wild card game, it's going to be a significantly different roster going to the Dodgers because the Dodgers present some kind of unique, uh, some unique problems, especially like they're going to be starting two very good left-handed starting pitchers in that series. So the Brewers Jeez, are you trying to jinx this? Let's not get too far ahead of well, ourselves. I'm, I'm saying, well, we're not going to do a podcast before this happens, so we need to like have it out there that you know. They I was need- letting you finish up the wild card stuff first, JP. Yeah. Any any thoughts on the the roster for the wild card game? How they're going to deploy everything? I would be really interested if they thought about going somewhere like Woodruff and piggyback him with somebody like Peralta. 
uh, it would also be interesting. I, you know, I was looking just to see what uh, some of the best Brewers pitchers have done against right-handers this year. And, and Jay Jackson, you know, I think that's a good shout because he's actually been quite good. He's held righties to 174 batting average this year. That That's somebody that you could look at uh, bringing in. And then I was also taking a look and one of the guys who held uh, righties to a 190 batting average this year was somebody that I forgot was even on the team at one point this year was J- Jake Petrika. That's a shout out. Actually, Hernan Perez has been pretty good too. He's got a couple innings against righties. That would be incredible if Hernan <laughs> got a playoff appearance. Yeah, that would he's be got, in the 24th inning, right? He's got uh, no strikeouts and a couple of walks though, so I'm not sure he, I'm not sure it's 100% sustainable. Which I think we'll have to do <laughs> prop bets next week. We when the playoffs are over, Steve, when you the playoffs are it's over. all over. Yeah. Yeah. When the playoffs are over. Absolutely. But okay. I will say uh, one thing, though, even though I said I wouldn't be comfortable necessarily going to Brent Suter, um, I will say he's been uh, pretty much untouchable against righties this year. Knock on wood. He's holding them to a 128 batting average. He struck out 10 of them. He's only walked one. He's only given up six hits against righties all year. He's been uh, I mean, he's been good against everybody. So, I mean, at some point, maybe you do want to go to him i don't i don't necessarily know but i would be really interested to see i'm interested to see who they go to in the middle innings because i know woodruff they want to go there and i know who they want to get to in the back end of the bullpen it's the middle innings that are interesting i would imagine it'll be somebody like peralta somebody like jackson somebody like Guerra. um it would be Jordan Lyles has been it's been great against right handers this year. So it'd be really interesting to see if they could get him in somehow. But I don't know how that'll go. Hey, did you see the end of this game? No, man, I'm, I'm doing the podcast. Holy cow. Let's hope they got this all out of their system because this thing ended on a wild pitch. Yeah. Look, they should have yeah, done after, that after an error that made it first and third where uh, Keston Hira collided with the umpire trying to cover first base. They should have uh, way earlier. Uh, also, do you know who our best pitcher has been against lefties all year, holding them to a zero batting average? Hernan Perez. Hernan Perez. Absolutely. He's got well, He's got one strikeout, no walks. That looks utterly sustainable. He's been perfect. You know, you get in the playoffs, you, you basically use your platoon advantages as they present themselves. There was some talk today on Twitter. People were saying, the Brewers should get Hauser out of the game early against the Rockies so that he could potentially come back and pitch an inning or two in the wildcard game. That could be something as well. JP brought up Lyles as a possibility. We could see them throw a couple of these guys on the roster intending to use them that way. Um, but then you have to try to figure out, like, how are you going to line up for the wildcard or for the, the divisional series if you get there? Yeah. So, so Dan look, Larson asks on Twitter, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but looking ahead to the playoffs, who would your postseason rotation be? So obviously this is assuming they win the wild card game. Uh, what do you think Council does? And tied into that, who makes the postseason roster for pitching to begin with? Some tough cuts are likely if they get that far. Yeah. So Ryan, what do you have scratched out? I mean, I think that Woodruff. What's your Charlie Woodruff, Kelly chart have? Woodruff is obviously in there. I think Lyles, there's no way he's not. With how he's pitched the so last who, two months. Who are, the, who are your starters? Who's your starting rotation? I think it's Woodruff, Lyles, Davies, Hauser are the four. Okay. As your initial outgetters, as as those guys. And I think Chase, Chase probably makes the roster sort of in a, you know, in another, in a mid-innings role. Somebody who can, who can give them some length. I think Chase and Suter would be those guys. The middle innings, 
you know, secondary outgetter guys. Well, I guess. and they kind of they need those piggyback guys that if they get a decent start, but it's only like three innings because they were you know working hard and they're already through you know the batting or they're through the lineup a couple times. They need to be able to get a couple innings out of that next guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a vital part of how Craig Council manages this team. So I think those would be the guys. And then after that, it's your standard relievers. I think, you know, Hader, Guerra, Pomerantz, Claudio, Peralta, Albers, probably. I don't know if Gio makes it. That's going to be a tough call. He's He would be – I really don't think he makes it for the, the wild card game. For the divisional series, maybe, maybe not. I, that's That's going to be a tough call if there's room for him or not. I'm not sure. As far as I'm concerned, you pitch whoever you need to pitch to get to the divisional series and you figure it out later. Um, like, I think if if Lyles is able to go for a couple of innings and that's the route that they want to go right after Woodruff, I think you I think you do it and you figure out they've got so many guys that can go three or four innings if needed in any divisional series that potentially losing Lyles because you pitched him, you know, a couple of innings in Washington. I wouldn't be too worried about that. Right. And um, if you pitched him on Tuesday, the the next game Sunday, he could basically be on full rest. If he pitched three innings on in the wildcard game, you send yeah. him out Sunday for game three and that would be fine. So So I think for me, I, I agree with uh I agree with Ryan in terms of the initial outgetters. Um I, I'm interested to see if they want to because they could hypothetically go righty lefty for a few piggybacks which would just kind of be really difficult in terms of setting up your lineup against any given pitcher if you wanted to go you know they've gone woodruff geo but you could go woodruff Suter. you could and Suter's been can go a couple of innings you know a couple of times a week and they might be able to get a little bit creative with those things they could then you know put pomeranz in if they wanted to go for a couple of innings afterwards i I'm really interested to see what they do with this piggybacking system because I think you could say, you know, anybody that you would have set up, it's almost like a spring training scenario. And basically you're like, these are the guys that I want to get work today. And, you know, then you let your starting pitcher go, you know, three to five innings, depending on what they're going, you know, if they get more then great, but you have the people behind that you're like, if I'm going to need multiple innings, these are the guys that I want after these types of other pitchers. And I, I would be interested to see if they go righty lefty a bunch instead of righty righty. Any but, chance in the wild card game that we could see Hater early, like we did in game seven of the NLCS last year, like Hater came in and what did he pitch the third, fourth and fifth? Yeah. I mean, maybe I, I hope not. I don't think that's a really high leverage spot. I understand if you'd want to get him in, I, I understand the argument to say, that the only reason, the only way he gets high leverage innings is if you are able to get him to to high leverage innings. I get that argument, but I don't think pitching him in the third through the fifth inning is really that high leverage at all. I mean, but like, let's say they're down two nothing after a couple innings, and like they're they've decided Brandon Woodruff just it's not working, it's not great, and then they're looking at it. I I think in a wild card game like that, I think hater might be the choice to go at that point because you basically have to shut them down you have to get back into the game you don't have there is no later so you know you you kind of pull that and you know that if you are able to come back and it is still a close game late you do have some guys you can turn to in pomerantz to shut things down hey, here's here's the thing is are there any guesses on uh craig council trickeration for the uh postseason like last year's 
Wade Miley's our quote unquote starter, and then he was pulled after a batter, a batter, just so they could get a lineup that wasn't left-handed dominated for Brandon Woodruff to come up, come in and face. I mean, they haven't really done the opener thing in Milwaukee. That they've they've messed with it what two or three times. But like, an opener would be a guy who's traditionally a relief pitcher doing it, right? And they've they've only done that on very like they did it last year towards the end of the year with Dan Jennings, right? Like yes, they they very rarely have messed with that. They're more of we're gonna have like piggyback guys and we're gonna use the system that way, and so they're. I could see in a in a longer series in a five game in a seven game. I could see you getting a little tricky and trying to maybe mess with somebody like that. Though again, if you do something really weird, teams are going to catch on to it, right? Like everybody's going to be on their guard against Craig Council doing what he did last year with uh, with Wade Miley. So I don't think you're going to catch anybody really off guard. Well, that was a short short start thing for Miley though as well. Right, and then they just brought him back two days later. It wasn't. It wasn't like they put Miley out there and then pulled him, even though it was his turn to start. I mean, JP, is there anything you can think of that they could do, or is is this such a, a mix and match rotation? And I guess pitching staff. We should just say pitching staff in general that you know there isn't anything that needs to be tricky. They'll just kind of put whoever on on the mound is the guy that needs to get the outs at any moment. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the latter. I'm not necessarily sure if there's much of a difference between sending Miley out for one batter and sending somebody out for two innings to get the the kind of lineup you want, which then you can then take if you brought in somebody you know, a right-hander for two innings and then backed it up with just, you know, if you wanted to go Geo Suter, you know, Pomeranz Hater and you wanted to go just a ton of lefties because you got a bunch of lefties in to face the early right-hander, you could do that, but you could also go the opposite direction. Like they've got so many guys who can go multiple innings that you can basically marshal all of them in whatever way you want, especially in a one-game scenario when you don't really have to leave anything out. The one thing I would say, uh I I did want to go back really quickly to the the Hater thing in the middle innings because I understand that 100% that you would want to shut down whoever you need. But again, the, the, the high leverage situation is not there in the third through the fifth inning at that time. In my, in my mind, what you would do is if you're heading into the third inning and you pulled Woodruff because you're like, it is two nothing right now and we need to keep it here. I would want to send somebody out maybe like, I don't know, a suitor or, or Freddie Peralta or somebody like that. And I would say, as soon as you give up a base runner, then I will go to Hater. I will get him up and I will get him moving. But I'm not going to use Hater unless I feel like this is in the potential of, of being moved away. I don't need him to come in for a clean inning in the third. Okay, that's fair. I could I could see that though. You have to give a little bit of time for Hater to warm, and you don't want to yeah. have him warming like if he's warming in the third and then warming in the fifth and warming no, in the seventh. Would, like you want to be careful about that one of those situations in which I say as soon as you get a ba- give up a base runner I am getting him warm and you are going to be removed in a couple of batters it, it's it's a fair point so does anybody want to make a prediction for a uh, one game playoff absolutely <laughs> five, one Brewers <laughs> wow uh you're on the spot now Ryan yeah I mean I I think they are going to win it I think that they've gotten they did get to Scherzer earlier this year when they saw him in Milwaukee uh, they and usually when you get to Scherzer once, you can get to him twice. Okay, right? Sure. Once like, you know how to hit Max Scherzer, I mean, you know, then then you're fine. No, I have no idea what the lineup was at that point. It might be a bunch of guys who are no longer on the team. Like the way things are going, it's yeah. I I haven't I didn't go back and look at that, but uh, 
I think that the advantage shifts very, very swiftly as soon as you get Scherzer out of the game. They need Scherzer to go like six, seven strong innings. They need him to be that like postseason horse. The Nationals do. The Nationals do. Oh, yeah. The Nationals need that because if the Brewers can just like make him work. Well, and that happened in Washington, didn't it? Didn't they basically get to the bullpen in each of those games? Like that's how they because they had success against Washington this year. Yeah, yeah they well, were four and two against them. I will say the Nationals made a ton of moves to be able to bolster their bullpen. In the second half, the Nationals have the uh, have the second worst bullpen in all of the NL. They have the fourth worth worst bullpen in all of Major League Baseball. So I 100% agree with that. If you can get Max Scherzer out of the game, then the Brewers are going to be able to do it. But they have to be able to get him out there, right? They in the second half, the Nationals bullpen is a five two seven ERA. Yeah, I mean they are completely vulnerable. So if you can get that now, the question is, and this came That's up a on tall order. It is, but they've. It's also doable. It's crazy how how that's such a bad matchup then for the Nationals to have a one game playoff. Well, the question then is because they aren't built for that. Well, are the Nationals then going to go to another starter? Will they go to Strasburg, Corbin, one of those guys? Because that is the strength of their pitching staff. Obviously, it's, it's those it's three Strasburg's, aces. It's Strasburg's makeup after he got shut down. What was that? Four or five years ago. So this came up on Six, maybe seven, eight years ago. How long has Strasburg been around? It was 2012 that that happened, I think. Yeah. There was this came up seven on MLB ago, Network then. this week. John Smoltz was pontificating about the fact that, like, I don't think the Nationals can do that. I don't think that you pitch, you know, all because they were talking about this idea of you maybe want to piggyback your starters because you just don't trust the bullpen. And he was like, oh, no, you don't do that because then you don't leave yourself anything for the division series. And I mean, he yeah. would know that starters coming out of the bullpen is just a disaster, right? That's never worked for anybody. No, and he, no, he would know better than anybody. No that starter that should ever go to the bullpen and then have to pitch out of the bullpen later on in their career. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, I think if the Brewers have a shot, it's got to be close. They got to work Scherzer. They got to work Scherzer early. I'll, I'll give a score. I think it's going to be. Don't uh, give a score. He gave a score. Yeah. And I, I don't think that was the most serious shout that anybody's ever given to a score. Six, three Brewers. Sure. Are you uh, trying to say that think through my answer? <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm sure you calculated all the possibilities for this. Insert the math guy gif now. Yeah. The Galifianakis gif. Yeah, and I still think that you know everybody realizes it was bullshit. So. I wasn't. I wasn't a hundred. I wasn't even a hundred percent sure of the like numbers that were coming out of my mouth when I was talking. I answered that so quickly. You're like, does this even make sense? Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, like, we do have an urgent question from Richard Parker who asks, uh, "What month comes after Craig Timber? Stearns Tober? Oh, stop! No, we don't name it after the front office. It's Stearns Tober. Yeah. I think well, it's Braun Tober. He's going to carry him. I mean, you know what? If yeah, if we want to have Braun Tober, I'm I'm all on board for that. JP, you have anybody you want to get on board with for our, our uh, naming of uh, playoff baseball? Look, I'm trying really hard to get Craig's name in for the C in October, and I just can't get it to work. I can't get it. it like a Craig. M- nope, I can't. I can't do it. Craigers. <laughs> It's good. Yeah, I don't know. We don't. We we'll have to come up with something. We'll have to. We'll have to call it. Uh, we'll have to call it October. After. O- October. <laughs> it's, it's our fresh, freshly baked uh, bread. 
Oh, those scents and uh, what is it? Subtle oak, sounds. Oak aged. Uh, now I got to go back. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Should I try it again? Accented with a pleasant, subtle, woodsy experience provided by the whiskey-soaked blend of French and American oak. It's, <laughs> it's fermented at near lager temperatures, and this beer attempts to catch magic in a glass. Soft toffee notes wrapped in a blanket of flavors of fresh-baked bread. <laughs> See, he can say it. You can't, but he, he, can. had, he had to slow down for it. Yeah. I did have to slow down for it. See, not he, at, he, knows, he knows how I've tripped up on it in the past, so he knows that, like, hey, slow down here. You're, you're approaching the curve. you got to kind of put the brakes on a little bit. So, yeah, uh, if you have any thoughts on what we should call October, obviously uh, hit us up on Twitter or anywhere else on that one so we can start hashtagging it and getting it out there. I think it was uh, was it one of the, the Grindle or uh, uh, Leverings did. <laughs> they did say Craig Timber. They did mention Craig Timber on one of the broadcasts, so. Uh, it, is, it also did trend in Milwaukee briefly on uh, clinch night. So. It is all the rage. Craig Timber is the rage. And hopefully, I mean, we could just call it Craig Tober if we had to. We're going to go with that. And that's what I should have been able to figure out in my head. But I'm still <laughs> trying to get it. I'm still trying to get it to start with an O. <laughs> I was like, in my head, like, I can't get it to work. Well, there we go. Craig Tober, if we really can't figure out something better at this point. So any last thoughts? Everybody nervous? Everybody excited? Was this expected at all? No, man. I'm, I just like month of September was awesome. So yeah. You know I, what? It is fun to watch winning baseball. Yeah. Like an extended, like w- extended winning run over a longer period of time, watching your rivals kind of trip over themselves to give you an opportunity to get to the get to the postseason even if they don't win this game like it it, september was still a ton of fun well and we mentioned the prop bets earlier i don't think anybody picked september as their month i believe i did stop i'm pretty sure i did probably because you put in like three or four different guesses (laughs) i'm guessing i did not but i'm guessing you cheated i'm pretty sure i picked september because i and i said because of the fact that they did so well there last year, and I don't think it was completely an accident. Like I think I just don't. it's partly design. I will say, when I was looking at the uh, spreadsheet of all of the submissions, it was really strange to have a Ryan top and then a Ryan cop and a Ryan mop. <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird to see all of those different things in there. Yeah, like I said, he's a cheater, but uh, you don't get to win anything. Oh, but I will say, as if we are talking about winners, I give a huge shout out to Josh uh, Josh Semro, who basically steamrolled himself, steamrolled everyone through the playoffs and took uh, first place in our league this this year. So huge, huge uh, shout out to Josh for coming in first place. I will say that even though I am being magnanimous about it, I am uh, also upset because I beat Josh in the uh, regular season week just before the playoffs and then had to play him again and got absolutely curb stomped. So it was not a pleasant experience for me. I ended up coming in sixth place, even though I had won seven straight weeks coming into the playoffs, because that's that's how life goes. And then we've got uh, Ryan down in 12th place and we've got Steve in 13th place. All that matters, baby. All that not, matters. <laughs> not 100 uh, percent our best showing there. But so first place. What are, hey, what are the points total points scored on the season for that? Total points scored, number one was Darren Jones, who came in uh, seventh overall. He had the great name Doug Jones's mustache. 
I came in second for points scored and I finished sixth. So first place overall, after all, everything kind of came through Josh Semro, Mark Scarby came in second. Joe Rasmussen came in third. Uh, Kluber Nate came in fourth. Bill Reinhardt came in fifth. I came in sixth. Uh, Darren Jones came in seventh and rounding out the top half was Sean Andrews coming in eighth. Which so, those were all the playoff teams, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So congratulations to everybody who was able to make the playoffs. Uh, it was a it was it was a ton of fun and and it was my first time playing a points league and so it took a little bit to adjust to it. And I know that Steve had been talking about the fact that he enjoyed playing head to head and point stuff before. So it was it was a good experience. I enjoyed it. We're actually thinking about for the the BP uh, podcast that I do for Dynasty League stuff, actually putting together a points league for a dynasty, which uh, be kind of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So and again, it was an active league all year. So that was a lot of fun as well. Um, so definitely if you're interested, look for that again next season. We'll get that all started up. So any last thoughts? Otherwise, I'm going to wrap this up. Go crew. JP. Looking forward to Craig Tember. Craig Tober. Craig Tober, son of a bitch. We're yeah. wrapping up Craig Tember. It's time for Craig Tober. I, I, well, I enjoyed Craig Tember. Everybody wants it to just remain Craig Tember. If you're in Wisconsin, Craig Tember is the best time of year. I, I do want to point out, though, that Breen, when I brought up uh, two days until Craig Tember in the end of August, August 30th, I tweeted that out. And uh, Breen said, no, 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 no. That is no, that is not do acceptable. You, do you want to get into a conversation of whether or not I think Craig Timber is real? Because Steve will <laughs> yell. At, Steve already yelled at me for this on Twitter. And so if you want me to embrace this, which I'm trying to do, and then you try to say that I'm actively embracing it when I'm just trying to be a team player here, we can do that, Ryan. <laughs> I like how how incredibly defensive that made you. <laughs> Craig Timber. Craig Timber. It continues on in our hearts regardless of what month it is. So. Do not bring me into your charlatan charlatanry. Yeah. So, uh, hey, remember that you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our facebook page for milwaukee's tailgate uh actually it's mke tailgate podcast network is what you're looking for now on facebook so mm. check that out uh don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher overcast pocket Casts. thanks for making that adjustment jp uh, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts, definitely subscribe. Smash, smash the subscribe button, right? Yes, smash that button. What do you use? I use uh, Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast? JP, what do you have? I use Overcast. Okay. All great. Check them all out. Uh, whatever works for you. Yeah, uh, download in multiple locations every week if you want. I mean, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Don't use your data for that. Do I am. I'm not encouraging that. I, I want. I am. I legitimately just want people who listen to you know download and actually listen to it. I know there's some jokes. Download. Don't worry about listening. Right. But listen, because we want a dialogue. We want to know what everybody's thinking. So obviously, download, listen, uh, send us questions. Whatever else is going on, and we'll have a whole wrap up of what's going on next week. So we're probably going to have wild card wrap up hopefully we're doing a little bit more of a preview of what's going on in the following series yeah. look i've already and i've already been thinking about if they end up winning the 
the wild card game, I'm thinking about doing a mini pod to get us ready for the division series too. So let's let's ha- more podcast content if they win. So let's go. So smash, smash the subscribe button. Get all the content for this postseason. Uh, thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.